Christ is risen. Christos Anesti. Christ is risen. Christos Voskresi. Christ is risen. Christos Andriat. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We gather again as the disciples did seven days after our Lord's resurrection. This is the first day of the week, or as later in the pericope, the eighth day, the final day, the day of eternity, wherein we as the disciples gather together. The doors have been shut from bright week, and there might be among us some who doubt, some who fear, some who are grieving, some who, let's just say, bright week is already worn off, and the Paschal season seems like it was months ago instead of right now. And our Lord appears in the midst, and he has a proclamation, not just a greeting. Peace be with you. This is not just, as I said, a greeting. It is not Jesus saying, hello there, I'm back. This is a proclamation. This is an acclamation. This is peace that he brings, that he has won. Because this is the first time the disciples have seen him. And you can imagine their jaws, you know, having to be picked up. But also, just think about this. Just two weeks ago, what were we in the midst of? Holy Week. Where were, where were the disciples once, by the time we got to Holy Friday? They ran away. Seems like fear is a constant theme here. Now we have them again. For fear of the Jews, they are assembled, locked behind locked doors, back in that room where our Lord had told them what was going to happen, broken that bread and shared that chalice with them. But our Lord does not come back to teach them a lesson, to shake his finger at them, to give them a good talking to, he immediately greets them and proclaims peace. Our Lord's resurrection is a proclamation of forgiveness. The peace that we have received from him that he offers freely is not just a kind of stalemate or just some kind of like, we're just not going to talk about that anymore. I'm sure that you're all familiar with this. This is very common in these parts, right? This conflict, and we're, we're just not going to talk about that. We're just going to move on. You know what I'm talking about, right? I'm talking about it. <laughs> Our Lord says, peace be with you. I know what has happened. And he even shows them, I know, and peace has come with me. Peace given to those who had deserted him. Forgiveness pouring forth from the resurrected Lord. That is quite the proclamation. 
But that is not all that our Lord brings is just a proclamation, but a commission. After showing them his hands and his side, the Lord says again, peace to you as the Father has sent me, I also send you. The Father has sent the Son, and as I, throughout Holy Week, would try to refer back to the Son's faithfulness to the Father through all of Holy Week, how he had, before that, prepared himself by going in silence out into the desert to pray, that while around him there was so much chaos, hatred, rejection, and even physical violence, he still is attached through prayer to the Father. So the Father has sent the Son into the world, so he is also going to send the disciples. As the Father has sent me, I send you. And then we have this wonderful breathing upon them. What does this echo for us? Our Lord breathing upon them. Creation, I heard multiple things here. Creation, the exorcisms at the beginning of the baptismal, or the adhesions and the rejection of Satan and the adhesion to Christ. We have the blowing, also the priest does on the baptismal font. We have, of course, then somebody said more primal to that, creation itself. God the Spirit hovering over the water, which then, of course, we think of our Lord's baptism. We think then, of course, as we look forward to Pentecost, but God himself breathing. What else do we think of in Genesis besides just on the water? Where else is there breathing? The creation of Adam, right? We have here Christ forgiving, commissioning them by recreation. He breathes the Spirit upon these disciples. They receive the Holy Spirit. And we see this throughout the book of Acts. What do we have just here in the two readings from the book of Acts? It is Peter and the apostles basically doing exactly what our Lord just did. What is Peter? He's stuck between two guards. Where is he struck by the angel? On his side. How is he freed from his prison? By an angel. What do we have? One of the great icons, uh, the angelic salutation, right? To the merbears. We have a great icon of the angel, like lightning, like white, that is sitting there saying, basically, he's not here. You need to go. We have the apostles, the church, living the life of Christ, led by the Holy Spirit. But beyond that, just this commissioning of little Christs out into the world, in the midst of the world's rejection, the midst of the world's imprisonment, the midst of the world's even bloodthirstiness, as we have in commemoration of the great martyr George today. But we have in the breathing of the Holy Spirit the commissioning and the creation of the church. The power and responsibility of the priesthood. That the church itself is given by Christ to the disciples and apostles 
the ability to forgive sins and retain sins. That within the church itself, that we find Christ giving his Holy Spirit, giving forgiveness, but that he does this, as St. John Chrysostom tells us, God does all of these things, but he allows a priest's tongue and hands to be lent to him. Because we need to hear, in a general way, Christ is risen, you all are forgiven, there is peace that has been given to you. But you also need to hear, in confession, or in counseling with a priest, to hear your sins are forgiven. To hear the priest have the stole over your head, feel his hands making the sign of the cross over your head, and hear those words of absolution. We need to hear this corporately, individually. This is given to the church. Because at the center of the church, and I'm going to bring the book of Revelation back in, (laughs) what stands at the middle of the church but the Lamb who has been slain before the foundation of the world. The one whose hands were pierced, whose side was pierced, but who stands before us, having risen from the dead. One who shows us and invites Thomas, who is not able to be there, to put his fingers into those healed wounds. You know, in the book of Revelation, there is one of the great beasts. There's all sorts of beasts. There's one in particular that I remember that comes from the water. And he dazzles everyone in the world. He dazzles everyone in the world because he receives a wound. And everyone's, he's going to die. But then the wound heals. And everybody is amazed. The wound has been healed. But we have, throughout the book of Revelation, this, this false this demonic, this power. And then we have our Lord, the crucified lamb, the one whose wounds are healed, but the wounds are still visible. The power of the world is kind of smoke and mirrors. And then the power of our Lord and his wounds that he still has, that he shows that this is the evidence that I am the son of God. That I am the one risen from the dead. That this is who God is. The one who goes to the depths, even into Hades itself, into that grave, in order to pick up Adam and Eve, and all of us with them, up back to heaven. And we need the example of Thomas, and to be reminded of the example of Thomas, because as you and I know, we struggle. We struggle to remember in our times of doubt, our times of trials, temptations, all of the things that happen in our life. To know that Jesus Christ is the one who stands before us, always offering for us to reconnect and be present to his wounded glory. But we need Thomas's desire to know, not just to see from afar or to watch others' belief or to just believe the testimony of others, but we ourselves 
need to know. The church must follow the example of Thomas, returning again and again and again to those nail-scarred hands and that spear-scarred side. It is only then, not your wife, not your husbands, not your children, not your mima, your papa, not their belief in Christ, but your belief in Christ, your experience of the resurrected Lord, you yourself putting your fingers into his side. To be able to exclaim like Thomas, my Lord and my God. How can we return again and again to the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world? Well, first, of course, is to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together in church, right? This is where we come together, just like the apostles, the disciples. And it gladdens my heart to see Thomas Sunday. I don't know if you know this, but Thomas Sunday, you maybe not be surprised by this, can be one of the lowest attended services in the Orthodox Church. You can probably guess why. Everyone's exhausted, right? Not everyone, most, a lot of people go back to work on Monday, right? After having stayed up till four in the morning on Sunday morning, almost said Saturday morning. But that it is in assembling ourselves together like the disciples, like Thomas, seeking our Lord. It is attuning our hearts to the teachings of Jesus Christ. We read the Gospel of John now in the Paschal season. Read. Don't give up those spiritual disciplines that you picked up during Lent. Don't just lay aside all of the spirit and just grab on to the meat. Okay? There is still spiritual food, spiritual drink, spiritual water, the gift of the Holy Spirit that is given. Not just attuning our hearts, but following him, keeping his commandments, crucifying ourselves is how we ourselves find him and authenticate his teachings. Most of the teachings of our Lord We understand them at a distance, or maybe we can see the logical, okay, it makes sense if we do this, therefore this. But it is something completely different when we are tested, when we are tried, when we actually obey and see the fruit that comes from that. And finally, as St. Cyril of Alexandria, in commenting on this gospel, tells us, we of course come and prepare ourselves to receive the Eucharist, where in the Eucharist we ourselves not only touch, but we consume our Lord's body and we drink his blood. This is where we are ourselves united to him in the most intimate way we can so that our flesh can be itself transfigured with the Holy Spirit. So let us not lose ourselves uh, in this, the Paschal uh, blaze of glory that we get sidetracked, that maybe post-Paschal blues overwhelms us. But again and again, let us go with the myrrh to run to the tomb. Let us go with Peter and try to beat the other disciple there. Let us gather together regularly. 
Let us hear the proclamation of our Lord's peace. Let us be sent out into the world as the Father has sent the Son. And let us revel in the Holy Spirit and the forgiveness of sins that we have received from the resurrected, glorious Lord who reigns with his Father and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Christ is risen. He is risen.